Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast. I am so happy to be back chatting to lots of lovely plant obsessed people about their stories. From flower farmers and allotmenteers to some of the greatest garden gurus, listen to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants from our biggest achievements to our fabulous garden fails. This season is sponsored by Mole Valley Farmers who have something for everyone this Christmas. Visit them in stores across the UK or at moleonline.com now to make the most of their fabulous offers. You'll find discounts on items like thermal garden gloves, pruners, pot-grown trees and the perfect gifts for this Christmas. So head over to check out these items and many more. In this episode, I chatted to Debs, part of the Wild Zinnia Bristol duo who grow and sell British blooms. Having started their business on an allotment and recently had an exciting expansion into a bigger space, it was fantastic to hear about how their business works, what Debs loves the most and what they've learned along the way. As a startup flower farmer myself, I always find these conversations incredibly motivational and eye-opening, so I really value each and every guest who takes the time to come on and chat. So I hope you enjoy listening just as much. Hello Debs, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. How are you today? Yeah, we're good. The snow's melting. Um, we're still having to defrost the cars. You know, <laughs> I went out this morning, I had to defrost before I came back again. But yeah, apart from that, we're all good. Yes, it has been a pretty chilly week. Um, for context, because this will probably go out a couple of weeks later, this is the snow week. <laughs> where <laughs> we have all just suddenly been plummeted into like zero degrees I think it was minus four here the other day yeah the forecast this week in Bristol is to go to minus seven um so yeah really cold god that is cold I thought the minus four is pretty bad and it's it's the kind of one where you go out at 7 a.m and you defrost the car and then you go out at 12 and you have to defrost the car again and then you go out at three and you have to defrost the car again I'm debating now just walking places so I haven't got to defrost the car mid-morning yeah it has been an absolute nightmare um although I did just say this morning was the first morning I haven't had to defrost I only had to defrost one tiny little patch but one degree makes a big difference doesn't it (laughs) it really does it really does and the pavements are no longer like black ice slippery so it's quite quite a nice change but um so can we go right back to the beginning of your story tell me where your love of gardening began and kind of where your interest in plants began so I've been growing since I was about seven there's all these pictures of me as a child um when my teeth had fallen fallen out and I've, I've, I'm there with my trowel um so I was the child that asked for money for Christmas so that I could spend it all in seed catalogs in the new year Amazing. um so I've been an enthusiast since I was little I really love growing vegetables so I've grown vegetables for years and years and years um, then I got an allotment. Um, so I've got I got two little ones. I got an allotment when they were two, um, which was um, high in brambles and perennial weeds. Um, and we had a great time just growing veg throughout lockdown. It was the one place that you know you were allowed to go. Um, mm. So we were there every day. We were the ones that packed up our thermoses. So I've got the biggest collection of thermoses in a home you'll ever <laughs> see. Um, so we'd pack up all our stuff and go up there all day every day. Um, and yeah, my kids have got a real love of of gardening and growing their own and um of different vegetables and things um and then more recently i've started growing flowers um so having grown vegetables for you know 25 years or so gives you a, a good background in how to start seeds off i love seeds i've always loved them i still love them mm-hmm. um there's something just magical i think about just putting something in the ground and um yeah and then getting something out of it at the end of the season definitely and growing from seed is so rewarding as well isn't it so like, rewarding. 
But buying a plant from the garden centre is very instant gratification. If you have it, it there is. and then and, and you and buy it in it. flower. Yeah, I love it for that. But I think when you've nurtured something for, for that long, um, yeah, you, you feel that sense of achievement um, that you, yeah, you, you kind of get in the same way, but not quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so much more, it's so much cheaper as well. Um, Massively. Um, so tell us about where your flower farming journey began. So on Instagram, you're Wild Zinnia Bristol. And I'm guessing you grow lots of lovely zinnias. We do, yeah. So the first year we, um, so I've got, I work with a, a friend of mine. So we've got allotments next to each other. And this all started during lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. So we we had a month at the end of um, end of the growing season where I've grown chrysanthemums for the first time. I've grown dahlias for the first time. We've grown zinnias and just fell in love with some of the intricacies of those flowers. The zinnias particularly, it's like getting two or three flowers within a flower. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, and just to see if there was any interest in local flowers and the flowers that you know haven't traveled very far and have been grown organically and there was so we took it to a first growing season last year where we grew everything under the sun flowers we've never grown before flowers that we'd loved for years all the all the bright flowers and then we realized that those flowers didn't all work together Um, (laughs) so I had a very busy winter last winter where we refined our color palettes where we fiddled around with the flowers that we grew we read loads of books so I've got a whole bookshelf full of um books you know books from really inspirational growers who, who've done it for years who know what they're doing um and then this year we've had a, a full growing season but we've doubled our growing space oh, wow. so we started on allotments um they they were a great space but um I don't know if anyone who grows on allotments knows you can't irrigate anything up there it was a really hot summer last summer a lot of our plants really <laughs> struggled and the watering yeah. just killed us so this summer we've expanded so we've got some space um outside of Bristol um so just outside so not very far 20 minutes or so from where we are um and that's the space on a farm um so it's about the same amount of growing space so we've got, we've got about an eighth of an acre in each space mm-hmm. um but yeah that that bit can be irrigated there's a polytunnel that's been delivered about to go up out there amazing um, so yeah it will just make it makes a big difference to have it having having room to experiment with different things because we've been experimenting with breeding plants and having different kinds of Icelandic poppies because we we realized that some of them we really love but we wanted more ruffles so yeah we've had um we've had a great time refining the palette but it does mean I've got a bursting seed box (laughs) (laughs) I love your enthusiasm though you I feel like you you're the kind of person I could just sponge information on (laughs) constantly and I'll take that as encouragement for my reading last week a hundred percent um so you were talking about planning and kind of changing your color schemes and this is something that um as a first year flower farmer I've been through a lot and I wondered if you could tell us how do you plan for your variety and make sure that you're not just picking the things that you particularly like and kind of making sure that it's suitable for who you're selling them to sure that's a that's a great question this year I think we we were really led by the weddings that we had so Mm -hmm. we do we do flowers for um local delis we do flowers for local customers we we do weddings and we do funerals um and farewell flowers so this year we had uh, seven weddings in the diary. It ended up being quite a lot more. And we used that as our basis really to plan what we were growing because we needed to have a quantity of that flower in that month. Yeah. Um, but for things like ranunculus, you, you know, they, they're cut and come again flowers. They're fantastic. But you you can't just plan for that one week. So you no. basically <laughs> are having to plan for the six weeks that they're in flower and making sure that you've got enough every week in that six weeks to make sure that the one week you want them, you've got them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we went heavily for for peaches and for blushes because that's very on trend um, but favorite. we also had we also had a lot of really bright weddings this year so people oh, okay. who wanted really colorful flowers 
Um, so we also had a lot of yellow and a lot of red. Um, and we discovered as the season went on that we don't actually like red very much. I so like <laughs> I got, I'm a little bit colorblind and I actually can't see red and orange very clearly. So it doesn't make it, yeah, that, that's not that's not our favorite end. But yeah, we've, mm-hmm. we've gone big on the raspberries this year um, and burgundies. And I think we realized as, as our first season came to a close that we hadn't planned for enough variety in the kind of forms of flowers that we had. Mm-hmm. So we had loads of the discs, we had lots of zinnias and we had lots of other um, echinaceas and big things that worked really well. We didn't have spikes. Um, uh, and so okay. I spent a lot of time over the winter looking at every month in every colour palette and going, right, we need a spike in that colour and a spike in that colour. And a lot of the spikes come from bulbs. Um, a lot of them came from perennials. So we've not seen the benefit of some of that planning yet because the perennials mm-hmm. are still small. Uh, but we will do probably next year, probably the year after. Um, but yeah, just planning that we had things that were airy. So we've actually organised our flower farm so that we can have an area for spikes, an area for airy plants, an area for discs um, to make it easy. So when people come and pick their own, because naturally you just go to the flowers that you love, don't you? But they yeah. don't always work together. Um, and sometimes we found that you need flowers that on the surface look slightly more uninteresting to make the whole thing gel. Um, so what we wanted to do is that when people come and they pick your own, they don't just pick a bucket and have a bucket of joy and then go home with it, but they have a bucket where they can make a hand tied bouquet and take it home and have something mm-hmm. that they go, actually, I'm so proud of that because I feel like a florist today. Yeah, that's such a good way to look at it as well. Um, I listened to a podcast ages ago that was saying about how you need to make sure you have focal filler and foliage. And that's what I have been kind of trying to go with for now, but I haven't thought about within those the discs the more fluffy frilly flowers I don't even know if I have any spikes so that's going to be my homework for this evening (laughs) (laughs) getting some in I think it's so hard in your first year as well because the foliage is a really tough one to get Mm. because a lot of the foliage comes from big shrubs and things and you just don't have those we've planted them but we're not going to have any benefit for at least five years so you've really got to say like we're we're throwing all in this and you know we're 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 hoping that in five years time this is going to really give us the benefit that we want definitely it's a lot of prep work there isn't it um i have to ask as well the polytunnel are you building it or is someone coming to build it for you um, well, if you ask my husband, he'd say someone's coming to build it for us. <laughs> he is that man. Um, but yes, but so um, I'm part of a duo. So um, we've, we've, we've both got husbands who are really practical, which is such a blessing. Um, mm. So we've I've cleared the space, I've leveled it, um, and then they will come in and do the building because it's basically Amazing. two days' work um, with at least four of us. So we've got five kids between us. So somebody's always on childcare duty, mm-hmm. um, and then the rest of it is a yeah, it's a two-day job because it's a it's quite a big polytunnel. Um, mm-hmm. And we wanted to get that one in really during January so we can then get our Icelandic poppies flowering because the Icelandic poppies need to be flowering early. So we want them in time for Mother's Day, which is Uh, March. So we need to get the polytunnel in early enough that as it starts to warm up, that we can get the benefit of it. Yeah. Um, I I thought that the polytunnel was going to be a two-day job. and uh, Don't tell me it's more. I think it's... I mean, I have a very practical brother who is like king of DIY and does all of my builds with me. And I really, really love him and appreciate him for it. Um, But I am not super DIY inclined. And so it was just us two for probably three or four days. Okay. And it was a lot more difficult than I'd anticipated. And then (laughs) we had um, maybe like four of us to do the plastic for the last couple of days and put the last kind of bits on that were a bit easier. 
we just well, needed hands on deck at that point i was yeah. i was livid by the time it was done because it was just the, probably one of the worst experiences of my life because it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. We built our shed, the shed at the farm, in 35 degree heat in the heat wave of the summer. And yeah. we built the Todd Polytunnel on the coldest, windiest and wettest days of the year. But it was that kind of, I can only have him on specific Saturdays and Sundays when he's not at work. So I was like, it doesn't yeah. matter what the weather is, we'll be going. <laughs> this is the trouble, isn't it? You end up with really, really good gloves, don't you? Because actually mm-hmm. trying to get your hands to work when it's that cold. Um, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. So I'm going to take mm-hmm. up everyone who's offered to help me put plastic on in that case, knowing that yes. it might take more than four. <laughs> yes. Well, people say as many people as possible. You just, it's really hard to get the tension if you've only got like two of you so um I'm sure that with with your very handy husbands you'll do it in two days but if you can get as many people as possible I definitely would for the past yeah great that's good advice we'll take that it's a challenge (laughs) mine was um what was it 10 meters by five meters I think it's 14 foot by 30 the same size same yeah um so yeah definitely as many people as possible for the end but what I found the most frustrating was um I feel like I'm just reliving the the drama <laughs> yeah um is when other people came in before we put the plastic on other people came in and were like so what do you want me to do then and I was like I'm literally reading the instructions <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't I don't know how to build a polytunnel like I have to read the instructions too so if you could just give me a minute yeah well we've, we've looked at all the videos asked. and we said everyone yeah. needs to view the video before they yeah. come on site I think is the thing so we'll we'll try that and see if it works <laughs> definitely read the instructions about 10 times because there's bits where it doesn't tell you to go back and then you're like oh I should have gone back and I haven't done that bit so then it goes right now add this onto this and you're like but I've not put that on because you told me to skip that bit for this bit um but no it once it's up it is amazing but we've had a polytunnel at the allotments and it has been it has been amazing but Mm. it's um it's south facing and so it's really super hot in there um, which has been perfect for some things but we found in the summer because you couldn't irrigate it it just got too dry too quickly Um, so yeah well I think we're finding having having lived through a whole year on a site you just find different things that you didn't realize were going to be a problem in the spring so um yeah it's worth living it for a year before you change anything (laughs) yes well I'm trying not to get too I was going to go and buy loads of perennials and then I was like, just give it a year and see how the site is and kind of give it a bit of time before you go all out. And now I've run out of money anyway, so I can't buy them. <laughs> you can still sow them, though. This time, you know, early sowings of perennials and you'll get flowers next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, now that the polytunnel's up, I just need to put the staging in and then I'll have all of the room to sow the seeds that I didn't have. So very excited. Um, so back to your story, sorry, the Shannon show over here. <laughs> um, can you tell us about kind of how you split your week? How many days of work, uh, days a week do you work or do you have like a, a set amount of hours you aim for or is it just kind of as and when you're needed? Sure. So well, because we're a duo um, and my business partner is someone that got a little one at home, um, I do most of the work out on the farm. Um, so the farm has been a big renovation project for us this year. Um, this time last year, it was full of 10 tons of rubble, which all had to be moved by hand. Oh, wow. So I have worked five days a week um, during school hours, so about six, sort of five, six hours a day um, mm-hmm. since January. Um, so I'm tired this time of year. I'm ready for a break yeah. in January. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what we we are aiming for in the in the growing. Um, mm-hmm. So to keep both sites running, it takes probably one person to do um, to do full time 
accounts, all mm-hmm. those kind of hours. Um, and then my business partner does all the other stuff. So she does all the all the accounts, um, all the floristry, all the deliveries. So oh, she's amazing. much more she's more customer focused than I am um, because I'm I'm doing the growing and you can't be in two places. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's been more work I think than we both thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both went oh we'll, we'll, you know, we'll throw in a we'll throw in five hundred quid each and we'll we'll do a couple of days a week and that will keep it running. Um, but I think especially when you've got seedlings, unless you've got irrigation, it doesn't keep it going because seedlings no. dry out really fast. And you know we've been using peat-free compost and that's had its own challenges um it definitely dries out a lot quicker than um compost i've been used to using you know we've we're we're really happy with fertile fiber that we're now using but that dries out too mm-hmm. um so it has meant that even if you're not on site every single day you're kind of on site every other day because of watering stuff yeah um, and with the hot summer we've had that's that's been really hard work making sure the plants didn't get too stressed i can um, imagine yeah so yeah it, it's definitely been been more full-time than, than we thought mm-hmm. um, but we're looking at ways to juggle that next year. So it's not quite as uh, all consuming as it has been. Yeah, that's a really good way to work it though, in terms of having someone who's more kind of hands-on with the growing and someone who deals with deals with the um, more like admin and customer side of things. Yeah. And it's, it's a blessing having two of you. I think especially when we've had um, one of us has been ill or we've, we've had children home from school. Mm. Um, you, it, It's great having someone else to rely on. I think a lot of, you know, we're in... We're part of a, a growing collective called Flowers from the Farm, um, mm-hmm. which has been an amazing source of information and about 800 growers up and down the UK of all doing stuff like we're doing. And I think you realise how, how lonely it is if you're doing it on your own and having that group of other flower farmers who have been doing it for years who know stuff that I just didn't know has been amazing. And it means you can always find a flower farmer near you, even if you know you don't you don't know someone who lives in Northampton. There'll be someone there who grows flowers who has got the same passion for getting seasonal fresh flowers across to you that haven't yet. definitely and I think it's so lovely as well it's that sometimes you think you have a bit of a stupid question you just don't know where to go with it whereas no. flowers from the farm is the place where you can just go and be like look I just don't know what I'm doing here can someone help um I know our regional rep I've been to visit her farm farm so it's just nice to know that there are people that you can kind of go to and like you say to meet other people who are doing something similar and have that similar yeah. passion and I think when you go and see someone else's farm as well, it just it makes you think about the way that you're doing your things, that you, stuff you hadn't even thought about. I mm. went to visit a, a friend near here and yeah, it was just how, how she'd arranged her irrigation and her seedlings. And I thought, oh, I haven't done that. And that's that's actually a much more sensible way of doing it than I've kind of come up with by myself. Um, Definitely. So yeah, you don't realise how much you pick up when you see someone do. Yeah. And because everyone does something so like, like slightly differently. I think a lot of us have kind of similar values of growing organically and that kind of overall overarching vision but there's still so many ways that you can work within that so I love seeing what other people are doing and then going that would work really well for me because my site's similar yeah. or going that's so cool that that works like that but it wouldn't work on my land because it's too boggy or it's too what yeah. this that or the other it's really difficult isn't it to kind of because no growing situation is the same my farm and allotment are about an hour apart and the growing conditions are completely different you know, I've got the same and I, I find it really hard to get my head around it because we've got heavy clay soil in Bristol mm-hmm. and that's what the allotments were and they you know they keep the moisture but they dry out really hard in summer mm-hmm. and out on the farm we're in the seven estuary so we've got oh, really okay. really light soil and we didn't get a frost so Bristol got a frost oh, about wow. six weeks before we did out in Tockington which was amazing for us because we had a wedding and all of our flowers that we weren't expecting to have. So we didn't think we still have dahlias in November and we did because we didn't get a frost. It's like in this little happy microclimate. Mm-hmm. But in the winter, goodness, it is cold and damp out there because the mist yeah. just sits in the valley. 
So um, yeah, it's it's worth getting to know where you grow, isn't it? And looking at Definitely. the seasons and how the shadows move in the in the winter and some of that are different that you kind of hadn't clocked the first time. Yeah. So um, I was at the farm the other day and it was the first sunny day I've had since the polytunnel was up and I realised that behind the polytunnel and the shed through most of the day is in complete shade so where I'd planned to put beds there before I was like I'd have to really really pick what is going in there because it's not going to get sun for most of the day because the polytunnel and the shed are blocking those areas which is fine because I think I've got an idea on what to do with them but like you say it's just that until you've seen it in all seasons at all times of day you don't necessarily (laughs) know what the space is going to be like (laughs) Um, so next question um, have you had any professional training or is everything you've learned kind of self-taught over your over your lifetime no we've had some professional training uh, we realized last year I think when we were doing weddings that we wanted to feel really confident with mm-hmm. doing spring bouquets because tulips um, oh, if you've ever had tulips in a vase they bend and that's fine that's part of their beauty in a vase but it, it's not what you want in a bridal bouquet you don't want them to move around because they follow the light um, so we had we had a couple of one to ones with a, a great local florist um, who had a real passion for using seasonal ingredients. He said, if if we only use what we grow, which we do, or we source from other British growers, then you know we're going to have tulips in April and May. We're not going to have anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a, we had a wedding in, in in April, which is why we wanted to know how to do it. Um, yeah. And then we also had some great training from um, Sarah Diligent, who's Flora Bunda Rose, is her name on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And she has written the book on how to use sustainable mechanics because um, we don't we don't use any single use plastics. We're we're all chicken wire and moss. Um, so yeah, it's it makes a big difference when you're trying to do a big installation to how just how you do it in a, in a sustainable way so mm-hmm. when we walked away from the arch that we did this year we said like, basically everything can go in the compost bin or you can take it out and give it back to us there was nothing going in the bin mm-hmm. uh, so we had some training from her this year as well which was amazing it was such a inspirational studio to go to and her advice was just spot on so yeah mm-hmm. we've had some this year oh amazing and I love that you mentioned that it gives you it's the confidence is part of it because sometimes like you think you might know how to do something but you're like oh I'm just not sure that that is the best way of doing it so having that kind of helping hand to guide you through and show you the best way to do oh, it totally. and I think with someone's wedding as well you don't want to think that you're winging it um yes. because actually you need to know your stuff well enough to know that what you're doing is is going to work on their big day because oh, I don't want to get a phone call afterwards and say that something fell over you know um, so yeah, yeah so yeah we we totally feel confident doing one now because because we've done one we've done another one afterwards and you know we've had we've had done a couple of photo shoots and things so actually um yeah was def- definitely worth doing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you also mentioned books. So before I forget, would you be able to share kind of, I don't, I don't know, I'm not going to put a number on it just in case there's loads you want to share, but some of the books that you have read that have really been the most practically useful so I think in my first year, I found um, the books from Florette the most useful. Yes. Um, I think the photos are beautiful. And I think when you're having a grim day in February, where you're not feeling very inspired with all these packets of seeds, looking at what they will become is just great. I think how Definitely. how she puts stuff together, how she photographs, how she explains how things work is has just been amazing. And then I've got to be honest, I don't think since then I haven't really read very much because <laughs> the the information that I think I've been I've been taking in has been from flowers from the farm um, mm-hmm. because I think it then becomes into the technical necessity of if I don't sow my snaps in autumn is it going to be a problem when I get to March and I think once you've 
grown through a year you go actually for me in this growing situation no it's not I cannot keep seedlings alive in the winter I'm really good with seedlings but I'm not good with seedlings in the winter so they're much safer if they're in their final positions or if I just start them early uh, Mm -hmm. at the start of March so I think we've kept quite good records this year uh, which is not my strength at all Um, but I think it's necessary because we we really need to know if it's if it's worth doing various things we sowed all our ranunculus so we we soaked them all a bit too late last year Mm -hmm. Um, they hadn't arrived there was a crop failure and then when we did get them in it was a little bit late which meant Mm -hmm. we were a little bit late to have them in the spring um, which didn't matter for us last year because we didn't have a wedding. It will matter for us next year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think really good record keeping is re- it sounds really dull and it is quite dull, um, but actually the year after is worth it. Definitely. Again, it's one of those things that every year I'm like, even on the allotment, I was like, yeah, gonna. I've got all of these like five year gardeners planners where you've got space to document everything. I've never once written in any of them. <laughs> yeah, we had a great planner arrive yesterday from Silver Grey Foliage. Um, oh yeah, it's got I've seen all, that one. all the little spots as to what you're planning and so you can look back on it next year and I, yeah it's it's a it's a big volume so it feels daunting at the moment but it, it'll be it'll be worth it next year definitely I can totally see the value in it when you look back and you thank your past self for being so diligent <laughs> um so can you tell us a bit more about kind of the services you offer so you mentioned you do weddings do you have like a subscription service do you offer pick your own do you do, we do um, kind of yep so we we do pick your own um in in the growing season so our season for us starts in February mm-hmm. um so we do have hellebores in time for Valentine's Day just Yay. um we had a bit of a panic the year before last because they uh, we had a really really cold night and all the hellebores flopped over so I had to pick them whilst they were flopped over and then rehydrate them in slightly warm water but we did have hellebores for Valentine's Day um but our main season doesn't really start until the middle of March mm-hmm. um so last year we were still dismantling three large water cabins in March so we couldn't have people come on site to the allotment so we didn't start pick your own until we got to dahlia season mm-hmm. so we've only lived through dahlias and chrysanthemums at the farm oh, okay. where people can come and see us um so we do do pick your own so people pay for a bucket and then we give them some instructions on anything that's um, not straightforward to pick like dahlias mm-hmm. that don't open anymore um or zinnias that you used to like a wiggle test on them to make sure yeah. that they they actually do hold up um so we've had all sorts of people come out and do pick your own which has been fab um so we do we do weddings so when we do weddings we um have an initial consultation with a with a bride so if there's anything that we're kind of not growing that we'll know to plant it um and then two weeks before we ask all our brides to come out to the farm um and to do a walk around with us so that they they discover what they love because i think often when you see flowers in the flesh it's so different to actually seeing them on a book or a screen isn't it because you discover what you love anything that's scented um is always a big winner when people come out to the farm mm-hmm. um so we collect together a load of um, all the flowers they've chosen make a make a little bouquet out of it and go is this what you wanted is it what you imagined um so that's been that's been a great thing having people sort of really get up close and personal with them we started doing some workshops at the farm this year as well exciting um, which is really exciting so we're hoping to do more of those next year so we've done some dry flower workshops and we've got some fresh ones coming up um from march um and then yeah we've done lots of local local flower deliveries we've got a couple of local delis that we supply every week with with flowers um again from from march to october Mm -hmm um and then yeah we're still working out what we love um i think that the pick your own is one of the things i really love i, I love i love seeing people walk around and choose their favorites because they're always different to mine and it's good to yeah. be reminded that it isn't the same you know everyone doesn't go for the same thing um, so how we how we're organizing our daily events is a bit different next year because we've done it all by color 
um and then we've got a whole bed full of wild cards because okay whilst whilst we don't want to use for our weddings a lot of the two-tone dahlias or the really really bright dinner plates people love them for picturing um so we've got a whole a whole area where I know this is where my little girl just goes to. Um, mm-hmm. That's her, that is her favourite. So bright pink and bright yellow dahlias. That's what she wants. So, Aww. and she's not alone. So that's what we're doing next year. Well, there's something so special about a dinner plate dahlia, and bright pink flowers. I'm not even. I love a pastel pink, but I don't love bright pink in most instances. But there's something about a bright pink flower that just. I think because it's nat, it's a natural colour. Yeah. It's that like Barbie pink, but natural. It just really like draws you in. It makes you feel excited. Oh, totally. Any flower that is as big as your head is special, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah, I can see one why children just want to hold them in front of their faces and have photos taken because because I want to do yeah. the same. Um, my nephews, we did them little bouquets for my sister's wedding, and my mum had photos out. We were at a coffee shop on Sunday, and she was she had the photos out of the babies where they're asleep in the car and they're still clinging on to their bouquets because they were so proud and they were walking around being Aww. like, a white dahlia flower in. And then Finn was like, oh, mine's got a pink pom-pom dahlia in. And they everywhere they went, those flowers went. And if they put them down anywhere, they'd be like, oh, my flowers, where are my flowers? Where are my wedding flowers? <laughs> I think I've just been so encouraged at having, having children out there and how much children do just love the variety of it and uh, my little girl's now seven and she's obviously lived and breathed this for a couple of years so she doesn't no longer cut the heads off flowers which used to drive me to absolute <laughs> distraction but she she actually now will cut a decent stem because she knows that she wants to get it in a vase when she gets home and I said, yeah. actually we want to be able to offer that to children next year so Definitely. um I, I used to be a primary school teacher and oh. it would be it would be fab to be able to have some school groups come in so we've been we've been sending out some feelers for some local schools and saying look we'd love to have your sustainability group and your eco group come visit us and see what we're doing with sustainable water supply and how we're looking at local flowers and how we're bringing back things for pollinators so that's on the radar for next year as well oh that's amazing um we run a little mini gardeners club so we are trying to do something very similar in our local area where it's just that i think part of it is a little bit self-indulgent in that when i see another child or person getting excited about like something i've grown or like the plants growing in general whether it's something i've grown or not when they're excited about something that you're also excited about, it's kind of like a oh my god, yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, they're yeah, infectious, isn't it? Yeah. I did um I did rainbow veg with my kids last year. So we got um we got vegetables and we had to use cornflowers for our blue. Um all mm. could but you can eat cornflowers, so that was fine. Um so we got veg in every colour, we planted it in every colour, then we gave we had a load of friends over and we gave them all instructions for what they had to do with all this rainbow veg and just to try and get kids excited about it because you know some of the some of the things that you can grow, like the pumpkins, they're they're a lot of fun. They'll trail six feet. And yeah, yeah there's not there's nothing more exciting than a massive pumpkin at the end of the season to try and encourage kids to want to eat stuff like that. Absolutely. We bought pea shoots to the one of the mini gardeners after school clubs the other day to make a we were making this giant wreath and I'd been to the allotment and I was like, there's barely anything here. I've got some like pea microgreens that have got a bit long, they've got a few pea pods on. I had like some mint and rosemary and like different like herby type things. Um, and we'd just done mustard microgreens the week before and they'd eaten the seeds of the mustard microgreens and they'd been a bit spicy and they'd all chatted about how spicy they were but got these pea shoots and I was like oh these are pea shoots you could eat them blah 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 and then one of the boys is like I don't I don't eat peas I don't eat peas and I was like well you don't have to eat if you don't want to but you know try it like if you fancy 
And they all sat there for about 40, like half an hour just snacking on the little pea shoots. And they were like, oh, these are so delicious. And that's like, great, isn't it? That they've just really like cottoned on to that. And like they're going to go home to their parents and be like, mum, 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 we need to grow some pea shoots. <laughs> we were laughing at my little girl in the summer. Could we grow purple peas? And nice. she, I couldn't believe after a few weeks that we hadn't actually had any to eat. So I said to her, like, what's going on with these purple peas? Oh, um. Every morning I go out in the garden and I fill my pockets up with them and then I share them all out at break time and all of my friends get purple teeth. Oh, that is so cute. So part of me was just so proud. I went, yeah, you do that. That's great. Yeah, you keep on picking them. Bless her. Um, so going back to the flowers, because uh, obviously the children's chat is very exciting, but we're here to chat flowers primarily. Oh, <laughs> um, you've mentioned quite a few, but what would you say kind of, they absolute favourite must grow flowers for the for the farm. I think I got a favourite in each season. Okay. So I think early season. So we've got Icelandic poppies. Mm-hmm. Um. So they're if you've never grown them, they're amazing. So they grow. You know, they grow to about sort of 40, 50 centimeters high. Poker straight stem. Um. You pick them when they're in sort of cracked bud stage, mm-hmm. and then you sear the bottom with a blowtorch, which is always fun, and people are always very impressed with you having a blowtorch in your pot's tool belt. Um. And then they, you can put them in the fridge, and they won't open um, oh, okay. until you get them out. So we tend to have them have them out on the table at breakfast time, and then the whole the poppy will open, pop out of the case, um, and sort of slowly unravel and unfurl, um, within about twenty minutes, and they are just amazing. They smell lovely. They last five days in a vase um, and they come in all these really cool colours. So we've got a bright orange and a bright yellow, um, which we love, but are not as useful um, as the white. <laughs> and then we've been breeding them. So we've got a, a peach one that's like a double ruffle one, um, which we called frilly knickers because it does have the look of that to it. That. Um, so we've got loads of those this year. So last year I bred it, this year I've, I've tried to multiply the seed. Um, so our new polytunnel is already actually planted up with them, even mm. though the polytunnel hasn't gone up. Are they um, tricky to grow? They are tricky to germinate and they don't like a lot of soil disturbance. So they want a very sandy fine soil. Um, so we had in our in our old polytunnel, it was a, a polytunnel that had been up for years. So it was very dry soil and they loved it. So we've tried to replicate those conditions um, at the farm by putting in fresh topsoil. Um, mm-hmm. They don't like a lot of water from above. So heat underneath to get them to germinate um, and then really, really gentle watering. Um, but I am not the world's most careful seed grower. It has to be quite robust to survive my care of them. I love seeds, but they, they, they need to get on with it. Um, so, yeah, we've got trays and trays of them. So white ones and peach ones. And then we've got one called Cali- uh, the Calibri poppies, which are apparently even bigger this year. Oh, wow. So that's probably my favourite early season. So they'll take us through from uh, March, April and May. And then as soon as the heat goes up in June, they stop flowering, uh, mm-hmm. which is fine. Um, they've, they've done their work by then. Um, and then we're into sort of things like cornflowers and um, the perennials. They're all lovely. It's basically meadows in that month. So everything is very dreamy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my next favourite is when we hit dahlias. I think dahlias are just such a such an amazing group of all different colours and different forms. And we grew about 80 varieties last year to discover our favourites. Oh, wow. We've got about the same this year um so yeah they they're just amazing i mean how they just keep coming so if you you know if if you've never grown dahlias before choose choose six that all match each other um and to have fun with them um for the first year they are um, the then, best because like you say they just keep flowering they and just flowering keep going and flowering yeah and, flowering. and i think once you've got them past the point because slugs love them like nothing mm. else once you've got them past the point of slugs loving them 
then they once they're about a foot tall they'll just go and go and go all season um so yeah we've got them we've got them in a rainbow of colors um deliberately so they dry beautifully so the burgundy ones and the purpley ones particularly dry really nicely so they've made it to a lot of our christmas wreaths and our dried wreaths Mm -hmm. um when we've had extra ones so that's it's worth thinking about sometimes if you want to have still have stuff going in the winter that actually having some stuff that you've dried is amazing so I think it just makes you remember summer and how beautiful it was definitely and dahlias do really good confetti as well all of the ones that I had that um were just about to go over in my vases at home before just before they went I chucked them in the airing cupboard and they were fantastic oh if only we all had airing cupboards still they're great for that aren't they? they really are honestly everything even my hockey kit slightly off topic but my hockey kit is the only place <laughs> it'll dry because the flat is too cold and then i think late season we um don't croissants are just so different to what i ever imagined they were i think croissants are the kind of thing you used to see in a garage forecourts and they're the kind of thing you remember in your grandma's vase and mm-hmm. they last about I've, the last ones i had which just before the frost they lasted four weeks in a vase and wow I'm not good at looking after flowers once they're cut. I know I'm supposed to change the water every two days. I know I'm supposed to keep recutting the bottoms, but I never do that. So if they survive my care of not changing the water, then they're definitely worth going out to everybody else. Definitely. Um, and just the the colours that you get from them when it's so late in the season and the garden's died down, everything's looking kind of soggy and a bit sad. And those croissants are just like firecrackers. Um, so they are amazing well worth growing mm-hmm. they're on my list for this year possibly did you can I ask did you buy them as plug plants or cuttings or I bought them as cuttings um, oh, okay so the first year we did buy them as we, we had the, we had loads of plugs and decided which ones we liked chrysanthemums don't go every year so they're not perennial in that way so they'll send up a load of cut they'll send up a load of shoots this year and we'll retake cuttings and and so it oh, goes okay. on um, they're much more productive that way um, but yeah, they they come in in three different areas. So you get early's, mid seasons, and late's. Um, we are not growing late's next year. We think it takes the season too long for us because okay. the late's need frost protection, whereas the other two don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've decided. I think by the end of November, we're we're done with fresh flowers because we're mm-hmm. tired. Yeah, <laughs> so, I bet. So next year we're not growing late's. <laughs> and so do you grow those outside then? Yeah, they're all outside, and because I think because we found that our climate is quite mild, mm-hmm. um, then we can actually grow them with no, with no protection at all. Amazing. Um, if we were further north, then that would that would mean that we'd have to put something over them. Um, mm-hmm. We grew them in a polytunnel last year, and they worked really well. But next year, because we've run out of space, we're actually going to grow them in crates um, oh, okay. because they don't have very deep root systems, so they'll be fine in an old recycling box type crate, um, and then they're quite easy to support because they they get troubled by the wind in late season so mm-hmm. in the summer we're not on a windy site it doesn't matter as soon as the winter storms start to kick in um they they snap really easily so oh, okay oh that's really interesting mm-hmm. i love seeing the different creative ways people find to kind of expand their growing space not necessarily in actual floor space but just to kind of squeeze in a few more plants here and oh there. yeah it's always a case of squeezing in i keep saying oh, if i had a bit more land and apparently my mum and dad <laughs> keep saying look you've asked for this since you were 10 years old more land more land every year <laughs> well one day you'll have all the land you could ever wish for yeah maybe I won't be able to move in the evening because I'll have been digging it all day <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that actually is a good question so what do you do you have like a principle you follow on your farm are you like no dig are you kind of more of a standard I don't actually know what the term is for a non-no dig gardener <laughs> a so dig gardener we, we tried to go no dig mm-hmm. um because I, I think that is the best thing for soil health um so you you know you've got this procedure where you put the put down the, the cardboard and you wet the cardboard and then then everything on the top um but it was such a dry summer 
And what we found was that a lot of our plants were struggling because the compost layer had dried out Mm -hmm. and that compost didn't really retain a lot of moisture. Um, And so we ended up digging up things and rotivating it. Um, And then we're trying again with no dig this year, hoping that the winter will be wetter because last year's winter was quite dry as well. um, And seeing if we can we can get some of those beds reliably no dig. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we did our best, but it wasn't it wasn't the year for it. (laughs) That's really interesting to know, though. So again, that's I've set my farm up so far as no dig. Um, But I've never grown there before, so I don't know how it's going to react. But I'm hoping that because I've done it early enough, the cardboard will have broken down enough that the roots can kind of travel through. And it's really, really, really heavy clay soil, like the kind of heavy clay soil where you dig down 30 centimetres and you hit actual clay. Yes, and you hit actual clay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're we're putting in some new beds uh, at the moment. Um, Currently, it's a a lawn. So Mm -hmm. we are going to be going no dig again um, for that. But yeah hoping that either either we get a bit more rain or we mm-hmm. can get a bit more a bit more water on it but we'll, yeah, see, we'll it, see how it goes it's a huge learning process isn't it and in the long term it will retain moisture better but it's just that the first couple of years is a bit of a tricky kind of oh it is and i think last year we spent such a long time collecting leaves as well because the farm that we the farm we're on is, is covered in oak trees so perfect mm-hmm. for that so we we collected you know barrows after barrow load of leaves and made and made layers so we've got a layer of leaves and then a layer of cardboard and then mm-hmm. a layer of compost um and then a layer of wood chip mulch on the top so we've, yeah. we've kind of tried to put as much as we can into it and last year we were trying to assess our soil health so we joined joined in with something called plant my pants <laughs> so you planted a pair of pants and then six weeks later you went back to them and dug them up and oh, okay. saw whether they were still intact or whether they had kind of been chewed through by all the all the little invertebrates and stuff in the soil and we found it very different at our allotment where we'd spent two or three years improving the soil and at the farm where we only oh, just wow. started so that was it was it was just a really interesting measure of looking at your soil and going well what do we need to add here to make it better mm-hmm. that's so interesting i'm going to do it on both my sites i'll update you <laughs> let us know how it goes <laughs> um <clears throat> The other question that I wanted to ask was whether you have any kind of tips on harvesting. I know you mentioned like the wobble test with the zinnias. I think it's something that a lot of people find that their cut flowers aren't a success because they don't really know how best to treat them. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of any other examples where there's something quite specific, but it's definitely something I don't know loads about. So if you have any. Yeah, I think um, being scrupulous about cleaning your buckets, which is really boring, um, Mm. but they have to be really, really clean. We keep things like lemon juice and bleach at the farm. So we put a little little bit in the bucket as we as we pick. So we try and pick in the cool of the day. um, So there's no good. It's no good picking flowers at lunchtime. They've already got hot. And if flowers have got hot, they don't like to be then picked because they're then put under stress to rehydrate. Um, so when we give out our instructions for, for doing pick your own, um, we tell people to normally pick things that are at least a third open. Um, if it's any more than that, they will have been pollinated and they will not last. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, we I've had a number of friends come out to the farm and they've been horrified at flowers that I'm throwing on the floor. But I said, no, it's no good. It's been pollinated. It, it will not last in the vase. And they said, I'll take it home and let you know. <laughs> and three days later, I literally get the phone call going oh yeah no those flowers lasted that's why i gave you a bunch of ones i knew would because that one won't um so that's just worth remembering if a flower you know if your flowers had bees on it that's great for the bees it's not great for vase life Mm -hmm. um so we always pick ours before they get to that point 
um, and then we make sure that they sit somewhere nice and cool. Um, so our shed has been purposely put in the shadiest part of the farm. It's in the shade of a, another container so that when the flowers all sit in there, not only can the bees not get to them when the door is locked, um, but also they sit there and they get a chance to recover. Mm-hmm. So we strip all the foliage off because that makes it harder for the flower to rehydrate. Um, and then when we send our flowers out to customers, we we say, look, put a little bit of um, white wine vinegar or a little bit of lemon juice or a little bit of bleach which always gets a really interesting expression on people's faces uh, so that kills all the bugs um, and if you want to make your flowers last longer killing any bacteria that forms on the stem is the way to do it mm-hmm. um, and then a little bit of sugar in the water gives them a little bit of a boost to keep going um, and then you're supposed to change your water every two days <laughs> <laughs> but if uh, you don't and you buy flowers from us I've already tested them in knowing that I haven't changed it and they still last seven days oh that's good to know it is one of those things though, isn't it, where you're like, I know that that's the best thing to do, but am I going to remember when it's been two <laughs> days? No. <laughs> um, so going back to, we chatted about flowers from the farm a little bit earlier, um, but we've obviously got the conference upcoming in January. So any flower farmers who aren't already a part of it, definitely join because it is an invaluable resource. Um, but you are going to be hosting a talk that I am going to. <laughs> We are. We're, we're really excited because we joined Flowers from the Farm during COVID and there hasn't been an in-person conference. So we haven't even been to one yet. And we're, oh, amazing. We're doing, one of the, we're doing one of the breakout sessions. So we're hosting a session called From um, Plot to Profit. So it's all about how to make money out of having a small space because we do have a small space. We'd love to have more space because we look at other people's flower farms and we're desperately jealous. Um, but it is possible to make a living out of a, out of a small area. Um, and yeah, we're just going to be talking about some of the ways we've done that, some of the mistakes maybe we've made along the way which have meant that it that some things are just not for us in our first year when we had a really small space supplying florists wasn't really for us whereas mm-hmm. actually now we've doubled it we do a lot of that um and we've got enough space to offer enough variety that it works um but there was yeah it certainly is choosing the things that you can do with the space that you have um and it's really easy to think look at look at the space and go oh well if i had double if i had triple if i had four times this but you'd need people to help you because you yeah. are only one person Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm very, very, very quickly learning. <laughs> I've already had to kind of, not quite half, but take a third off what I'd anticipated the the number of beds being because I just, I I am only one person. Yeah, and I, I think actually I, my husband is fed up of me saying I hurt in the evening. So mm. he said to me, look, you need to do some stretches in the morning. You need to do some stretches in the evening. And I didn't want to do it, please right. And I do them every day now before <laughs> I start digging and go actually... I'm not going to hurt at the end of the day because of this. <laughs> nice. Um, so one one of the questions which I love to ask people um, is, do you have like a real big lesson you've learned, a failure that is one of those that will always stick in your mind, but you just learned so much from it? But I think because I work as a pair with someone else, with Roz, um, I didn't realise the things that she was good at, the things that I was good at. We thought we could be friends for years and we mm-hmm. thought that our skill sets was the same. And we have quickly realised that they aren't at all. Um, she she cannot repot seedlings in a in a way that they're happy. <laughs> um, and and I'm just I'm just not good at writing you know writing some writing our marketing and things like that. Um, she is a scientist as a background, and I'm a primary school teacher. And so we write things differently. So I write the newsletter because actually I think. I, I spent a lot more time teaching writing and teaching how to imagine yourself in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think working with someone, you get to know the things that they're good at and the things that things that you're good at and then trying to work within that. And we've realised sometimes that we actually need some we need some help from someone who else who's technical because neither of us are. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I think that's that's been one of the lessons. And we've tried to put up 
technical things and using tools and stuff at the allotments together and we've just gone actually neither of us are accurate enough for this we need someone else <laughs> yes that is such a good lesson <laughs> no one's asked for help me our polytunnel will go up straight because we're going to get some help <laughs> i cannot wait to see your polytunnel this is going to be a very exciting time <laughs> you have an estimated date of when it's going up we've got to look at a weather forecast because um we're not going to get a lot of enthusiasm for anybody doing it in sub-zero temperatures no <laughs> no <laughs> So January, February, when the flower farm is quiet, that's the time for it to go up. How exciting. Around the time of the conference as well. It might be yeah, up before. Maybe I'll get a picture in beforehand. We'll see. <laughs> um, well, it has been such a pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I can't wait to meet you in January. Great. Until January then. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. Each share, comment and star rating makes such a difference in helping new growers to find the podcast and learn from all of the incredible guests who have been featured. In the meantime, I'd love to hear any of your stories and questions on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! Happy growing!